Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And folks, it's finally happening. The episode you have all been demanding all these years since we started Sawbones in 2013. We're finally doing it. We're doing the Balto episode. You're getting people excited, see? And then you said Balto, and they're going to be like, what? We're doing the Balto when, episode. Can you, uh, when I told you we were going to do an episode on Balto, you were so confused as to why I would say that. You assumed I was talking about still buffering and not sawbones. Correct. Sydney does still buffering with her with her siblings, and it is a uh, show about the pop culture that informed their uh, their growing up. And uh, I, <laughs> I, she said we're doing a Balto episode. I was like, that's weird. I wonder which one of them loves Balto. <laughs> But uh, it turned out it was for it was for Sawbones. Now, to be fair, Taylor does love Balto. Fair enough. Uh, I, that is what my main context for the the animated the nineteen ninety five animated film that you may have seen Balto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I may have intentionally watched it one time, but I have uh, absorbed it many more times because of Taylor's repeated watchings. Fair enough. Uh, do you remember that movie? Did you see it? Balto, no. No? Oh, How no. did... I remember the trailers. I feel like there was a trailer for Balto at the beginning of a lot of uh, VHS tapes. Do you know who was in it? Um, Everybody. I listed it in our show notes in case you're curious. Okay. Kevin Bacon, Bridget Fonda, Jim Cummings, Phil Collins, Bob Hoskins. So many stars. <laughs> Jim Jim Cummings? So Bob many stars. Hoskins, they're all. The Galaxy... Is is dark. The skies are dark. And why? All the stars are here in Balto. Bob Hoskins? You know know it. For the longest time, I couldn't tell if any movie had Bob Hoskins or Danny DeVito in it. I never knew. We saw old Jim Cummings (laughs) recently. He was at uh, the the, uh, Huntington comic book convention right there next to John Wesley's ship. Mm -hmm. Shout out to both of them. I assume they're listening. Uh, so anyway, I think there are a lot of us of a certain age who have, who watched this movie and maybe like me, because I was younger, um, at the time, didn't fully like realize what it was about. I mean, I knew it was about this cute dog and I was always more of a cat person. So maybe that was why I didn't repeatedly watch it the way that Taylor did. But, uh, I didn't know that it was medically relevant, really. I mean, I, I watched it, so I must have understood on some level what the heck all these dogs were doing. 
but I guess it never really clicked until I was older. And then I was like, oh, that was sort of a cool hero medicine story. Didn't realize that. But it still never occurred to me that we should do an episode about this until uh, Theo wrote and suggested it. So thank you, Theo. Thank you, Theo. Yeah, this was a this was a great idea because it is medically relevant. Uh, it is, I think it fits well into the things we cover. And if you have never seen the movie Balto. Strap in, we're going to have some spoilies, I guess, right? Or also, if you have and you know this whole history and you know why Togo is who we should celebrate, there is so much drama in this dog story. Can I tell you on the front? There's gonna, I mean, there's gonna be a some medicine, but drama. there's just so much drama on the dog story. So let's get into it. Okay. So back before vaccines, in the the harder days before yeah. we all got vaccinated for things, or at yeah. least we begged people and gave them trucks and scholarships to get vaccinated for things. Yeah. Um, one of the most feared childhood diseases was diphtheria. Now okay. you probably heard of diphtheria, right? Mm-hmm. You've heard the name, and it seems like something that people used to get. You've probably never seen anybody with diphtheria. No, like no I've never heard. No, no, never. It still does happen in, in parts of the world, but it's pretty uncommon these days. It is caused by a bacteria called Carinobacterium diphtheriae. You can guess why we named it that. Uh, it used to cause fairly severe disease for kids, especially kids under five. That's why this is always important, too, if you're ever having a conversation with somebody about why we vaccinate children so young like why do we give them these shots when they're so little and so many it's because so many of these diseases were particularly devastating in that age group Mm -hmm. so we vaccinate them at that age because if we wait until later a lot of them may have already died of the disease before we vaccinate this this thing has always confused me like why why can't we space it out like why do you want your kid to get because they might get sick I mean that's just give your kid a bunch of shots and like go to Toys R Us later I mean yeah Obviously, Twitter but, is closed, but so that's just, not a good well, – no, no, you don't. get it. Yeah. Just give your kid a bunch of shots, and then they, they won't get sick, okay? <laughs> you get it by – That's its own uh, reward. You don't need to buy them a, a Transformer afterwards. Health is its own reward. You get it by respiratory droplet transmission. Um, it's pretty contagious, and you stay infectious for a few weeks, two to three weeks. So it's a big deal um, when it when you have an outbreak of diphtheria, or it used mm-hmm. to be. Symptoms will start as like a sore throat, a fever. You could get inflammation of your tonsils, so tonsillitis. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it can progress to something much more dangerous because the bacteria releases a toxin, and this toxin is responsible for a lot of the damage that the infection that is done by this infection. It will destroy a lot of tissues and cause like a lot of what's basically like waste product, this sort of debris that the toxin has left behind, mm-hmm. and this like grayish white debris will accumulate all over the back of your throat Ooh. and mouth and respiratory structures. We call it a pseudomembrane because it's not a membrane, but it has formed one now, sort of a false one that has formed. Um, and you can imagine trying to breathe through this sort of grayish film that mm-hmm. is enveloping the back of your throat and everything. Yeah, um, You can't, unfortunately. For, for many people who would get diphtheria. Um, it can also, of course, damage your heart. You can get inflammation of your heart from it or your nerves, pneumonia, respiratory failure. Um, it, can, it can completely obstruct your airway and you can't breathe. And all in all, prior to vaccines, diphtheria would uh, kill about 20% of children under five who got it. 
So, I mean, put that in context. If you have an outbreak of this very contagious illness, diphtheria, among, you know, a, a classroom, a school, a neighborhood of children, whatever, one in five of those kids under five will die of diphtheria. So it was a it was a huge deal. It was a huge um, scourge uh, in in children. And and I should say it can also be deadly in adults. Um, it was mainly feared for its effect on children, but people over forty were also very susceptible to severe illness, um, and even some of those in between. In the late 1800s, when we first sort of pinned down, as we were understanding the, like, the germ theory of disease and we were connecting certain organisms that we could find and locate and grow in you know, petri dishes with certain diseases and all that was being put together, uh, we put together what diphtheria was and what caused it, but we didn't know exactly what to do about it at first. Okay. We just had, I mean, it was like a lot of things. Great, we figured that out. What the heck do we do now? However... Soon after that, uh, there was a there was a solution of sorts, at least something that would give us some you know relief until the vaccine would be made. Um, by the 1920s, when this story I'm going to tell you takes place, we had antitoxin. It was synthesized right before the turn of the century by two different scientists, Shibasa Burrow Kitsado and Emil von Beering. And they both basically tried to like take the toxin part. They isolated the toxin part that came from the bacteria mm -hmm. and killed it with heat. Oh. And then you could give it to somebody and it's like an antitoxin. Cool. It can stop the toxin. Um, this would go on to be sort of like refined, I should say, into this antitoxin that was made by injecting it into horses. You would basically like inject a horse with a toxin. They would create antibodies, get the serum out of the horse. And now you have this serum that you can give to people who have diphtheria to stop them from dying. That then, was the idea. Then you would just take the horse to the center of town and everybody like come drink from this horse. Well, you don't drink from the everybody horse. Everybody come sup at this horse's teat. I guess you could do that. I get – don't. Would that work? N no, I don't – I don't to know. To slurp from the life-giving udders of the horse? I don't know. <laughs> this incredible anti-diphtheria horse? Well, I mean there – you can get horse milk I suppose. You can milk anything with nipples. Okay. I learned that um, from Meet the Parents. I don't know how well uh, the <laughs> the antibodies in the serum are secreted in horse breast milk. I think, uh, can I say something, Cindy? This is I not like what you, we did. I feel like you do know, and you just are trying to scare us away from delicious horse milk that cures diphtheria. There was a famous horse named Jim who was responsible for some of these early experiments. Anyway. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. History so, remembers you. Jim. Jim, the horse. You can look up the article. It's like Jim and in parentheses horse. Jim, a horse. Jim, a with horse. Incredible udders. No, uh, but anyway, they would take the serum then out of the horse and then you could give it to people and it would counteract the effects of the toxin, which would prevent, hopefully, the severe disease and death. So you okay. could still get sick, but not that sick. Um, so in Nome, Alaska, this is where the focus of our story takes place. In Nome, Alaska, in the winter of 1924, the only doc in town, there was one doctor and four nurses in this in this town. Um, they oh, had a – Dr. Balto, the doc, the horse doctor. Is it, this is not – Dr. Balto, Balto was not a doctor. It is so weird to me that you don't know this story at all. You okay. know Balto's a dog, right? I know Balto's a dog, but I okay. think if you're remote enough, maybe he's the best doctor in town. No, Balto was not a, a doctor. A doctor, if you please. I can't with this. Is this going to be like this the whole show? I feel like it's got that kind of punchy energy. Okay. 
Dr. Curtis Welch, only doctor in town. They've got like a little 25-bed hospital for nurses. So, you know, they are not, it's not like a tertiary care center state-of-the-art medical technology. He's doing the best he can, him and his team, to hold this place together. Um, So in the winter of 1924, Dr. Welch did not want to believe that a diphtheria outbreak was starting. It is December of 1924. He sees a couple kids who have a sore throat. One has tonsillitis. And he thinks, uh, probably not diphtheria. And uh, there, are, there are several reasons uh, for this. See, Nome, Alaska, was not easy to get to in 1924. Okay, so he thought it less likely that it made its way there because it's more remote? Well, not necessarily that connection, but I'll get into why this is why this okay. matters. The seaport in Nome would ice over from November to July, basically making it inaccessible okay. by water. Okay, okay. Uh, the only way really to get to and from it was land, um, and you could. This is actually it's funny. Have you you've heard of the Iditarod? Mm-hmm. What yeah. is your perception of what the Iditarod is? It's like a race. That is a dog sled race. The Iditarod is the name of the trail. Mm. And the Iditarod Trail, is it was actually originally a collection of different trails that uh, people indigenous to the area that is Alaska had, you know, first traveled to get to different places. It was sort of... Um, coalesced into what is what was the eventually called the Iditarod, Iditarod Trail and was used during the gold rush. Mm. Um, that is where that comes from. I know, I, I used to think it was a race too, which oh, I'm not okay. saying that there isn't, there aren't races along the Iditarod. Obviously there are, but it's the name of the trail. So it's sort of like the doctor is Frankenstein and this is monster, that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Dr. Welch didn't want to believe that the first few cases of uh, this tonsillitis that he saw that winter could be diphtheria because, as I've already said, we're in a very remote, isolated location. Mm-hmm. Um, he just saw a couple cases. So his first reason is like, well, well, it's pretty contagious. So I would think if it was diphtheria, I'd see a lot more cases, right? Right. Just a couple. So probably not. And then the second reason is much more practical. This is why this remote location comes into play and why I think I can understand and sympathize with the way Dr. Welch was seeing this. He had discovered a few months previously that the hospital's entire stockpile of diphtheria antitoxin Mm -hmm. had expired. Yikes. So you're a small-town doctor. You're in a remote location, inaccessible by sea, and only land, but still very remote, very far from, from any major centers. You see a couple kids with tonsillitis. It enters your mind that perhaps this could be this horrible, deadly scourge diphtheria. Ugh, God. But you know you do not have the treatment, and you also know how hard it would be to get the treatment there. Yeah. So I think— You would definitely be incentivized like, no, it's probably not this, right? We could all agree it's not this. Because you know what that means. Yeah. By January, however, Dr. Welch could not fool himself any longer. More children had become ill. One had succumbed to their illness. And he knew at that point what was happening. There were the telltale signs of a diphtheria outbreak. Um, He attempted early on in this to use his expired stockpile to try to treat one patient um, to disastrous consequences. So he knew that was not going to be an option. 
Oh, man, I can understand why you'd be tempted to give it a shot, but still. Yes. So he put the whole town in quarantine first. Mm-hmm. Everybody quarantined. And then he sent the following telegram, because um, we were in telegram days. An epidemic of diphtheria is almost inevitable here. Stop. I am in urgent need of one million units of diphtheria antitoxins. Stop. Mail is only form of transportation. Stop. I have made application to Commissioner of Health of the Territories for antitoxin already. Stop. There are about 3,000 white natives in the district. End of telegram. So one million units, though, is that like actually one million doses? No. Okay. No, that's not one million doses. Okay. The the dose would be some measure of those, some number of those units, right? Exactly. Exactly. He was estimating how many units he would need to control the whole outbreak based on the cases he was seeing, the cases he thought he would see, based on the number of, as he calls attention to, white natives in the district. But I wanted to also call attention to the fact that the surrounding area, um, there were about 10,000-plus people in that population around that around Nome, Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some historical context, what's really important to know is that a lot of the uh, indigenous people, the Native Alaskans who lived around that area, had no innate immunity to diphtheria. Mm. You're de- and so, like, they had seen this play out in 1918 when the influenza pandemic um, burned through this part of the world. Because of how remote it is. Yes, and and how and the 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 death toll was was very high. And so, diphtheria, the implications of an outbreak among this 10,000 plus um, native population, was disastrous. I mean, there were some that predicted it, it could be 100% mortality. So the implications of this outbreak in Nome, Alaska are very severe. And he knew this. He he knew what they were facing, and he knew that he had no way to get the, at the time, the only treatment. There were no antibiotics. There was nothing else. This is the only thing that works. All of ours is expired. I've got sick kids. Picks up the big red phone. What do you do? keeps behind glass. He lifts the receiver to his ear and says, get me Balto. <laughs> and Balto's like, woof, woof, which translates <laughs> to, I don't do that anymore. I've been out of the game for too long. There's no nothing I would get back into the game for. And then the doctor's like, one of the kids is your son. And he's like, I don't have a son. And then his wife picks up the phone. And she's like, I do have a son, Balto. And he's in Nome, Alaska, and you're our only hope. I and haven't he's seen like, the movie, but it's I'm about family. This one's about family. That's not exactly what happened, but you're close. But before I tell you what does happen, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support 
and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tyson Fights. A back-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum, and I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit, and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Loblin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. Said you've teased me for long enough. When is this hero dog going to show up? Okay. So at this point, the mayor, uh, the public health service... The governor, everybody starts to try to get on the phone, start sending telegrams. I mean, it's the 1920s. I don't know. However, you're going to gonna communicate. Um, they, they start getting on the phone with each other and like, what are the heck are we going to do? We've got to get antitoxin to Nome, Alaska. The initial thought, because some of you may be asking this question, you may in the back of your mind think, okay, so you can't get there by sea right now, right? Because the port's all frozen. Uh, what about air? We're flying planes in the 1920s. Okay. They're planes. Sure. So this was brought up, and it's funny because as you read, and I would encourage you, I, I don't really want to get into all the intricacies of the 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 like the travel methods 
to do that because it's a medical history show. So I really want to focus on the medicine. Um, but it is a fascinating story when you think about like the logistics of problem solving this and the different players who tried to push different things and what would have happened if they had attempted that instead. But anyway, a lot of people said, well, we should just fly it there. At that point, the the only winter like of any long distance air travel that had been attempted in Alaska was done previously that year. <laughs> so that's how recently anybody had even tried to fly a plane because at the time to fly a plane in those temperatures was still very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, not only could your equipment freeze over and then, you know, you crash. Um, but the pilot <laughs> would get really freaking cold, yeah. which would make it hard to, to fly. So you had to try to find a way to troubleshoot the the conditions, the weather conditions, um, but then also the distance. Nobody had flown that kind of distance. And when we started talking about, like, where was where was the serum? Because, like, you had to get some to take to them. Right. Where was it? Initially, Seattle was their best bet. I don't have a map in front of me, but it seems like that's quite a haul. It is quite a haul from Seattle to Nome, Alaska. Um, so the original thought was, and and you found this all throughout this story, is the governor kept saying, like, I don't think air travel is going to work. But, like, all these other figures were were pushing back, like, no, like, the mayor was really in favor of air travel. Amundsen gets up in this. Ooh. And is like, I think the plane's the way to go. My boy rolled Amundsen. <laughs> Um, so a lot of a lot of people are arguing over how are we going to get the serum there. There was a thought that they would like park a ship right outside where it was frozen, like get a navy ship, and then fly a plane from there to no. You know, you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. let it take off of the aircraft carrier and land in Nome, and so you then just got to get the ship there. And anyway, a lot of people felt that a a mission by plane would be futile. They thought the plane couldn't make it. They And they actually, like, took stock of what sort of planes were in Alaska at the time. They didn't even feel that there were planes. Like, even if you could get the serum from Seattle to Alaska, they didn't feel like there were planes that could get it from anywhere in, you know, in Alaska to Nome. Um, the planes wouldn't make it. There was no... There's, like, this whole story where there was no pilot that was certified to do this, but there was one guy who was like, well, I'll try anyway. And <laughs> the mayor was like, this guy will do it. Yeah. And they were all like, mm, maybe not. Um, and the whole, as this story unfolds, the whole nation was just, I mean, completely focused on it. Like, it was being covered constantly in the media. Everyone was watching this in real time. Yeah, well, as much as you could at the time. <laughs> um as it unfolded. So the idea of using these trails where they had, you know, where where dog sledding was done, like the Iditarod Trail and such, to get um, the serum to Nome came back into play. And it was decided that even though that could take some time, it was the only reliable method of getting this serum to the people who needed it. Hmm. Um, even though certainly air travel would be faster if it worked. Nobody thought it would work. So a plan came together to, first, they gathered all of the antitoxin, all the serum that they could find uh, on the West Coast, essentially, um, and sent it all to Seattle. So you have to gather it all in Seattle first. And this is over a million units, just like he requested. And then they're going to ship it from Seattle to Seaward, Alaska, which is still very far from Nome, just for... You know, if you don't know Alaskan geography, which, of course, I didn't before I had to 
right. look at it. Uh, so they're going to ship it there, and then they were going to run it, basically, via dog sled, all the way up to Nome. However, as they're putting this plan together, they're realizing, like, man, this is going to take quite a while because the next ship, the Almeida, who was that was going to leave Seattle to, just for the first leg of the journey— wasn't even going to leave until January 31st. So we're in the middle of January. We're in the midst of this outbreak. Time is human life. Yeah. And you know that even though this is what, this is the plan, you know that it's not, it might not make it in time. And then at that moment, a hospital in uh, Ninana, Alaska, finds 300,000 units of antitoxin that they didn't realize they have. Still good, not expired, and says, hey, we got some. We could get that to Nome Mm -hmm. via dog sled. It's like 634 miles, still quite a way. Yeah, still as a whole. Uh, But, and it's only 300,000 units, but the thought was, you know what, that's enough that at least we can maybe keep people alive, keep those, you know, the, the people who are already sick, maybe save some lives, and... The next batch will come in enough time to save everybody else, right? Okay. So this is the plan, and this is the famous, and there are lots of, the. it's the 1925 serum run is now what is about to ensue. There are lots of the great mercy run. There are all these names for this, this trip. Mm-hmm. But basically, they had to put together a trail from Ninana to Nome with multiple mushers. Those are the people who drive the... Got it. The yes. humans and many, many sled dogs to take them across and carry the antitoxin with them. And and you got to imagine, too, like we're talking about glass vials wrapped and padded and trying to be protected and then carried via dog sled in this incredibly, you know, grueling environment yeah. for long distances. So, like, first of all, you got to make sure they don't break. Secondly, you have to warm it up periodically. <laughs> so you got to make stops periodically to make sure it doesn't like completely all freeze over. So it it was a very dangerous, um, logistically difficult mission. But uh, at the end of the day, 20 mushers and many, many dogs would be involved in this trip. They started on January 27th. Um, and you can, again, as you read the accounts of this relay, uh, Almost every one of the mushers suffered in some way. I mean, frostbite, lost pieces of their face, like, were very injured. There was one, and who knows if it's true, but there was one account of one of the mushers when he arrived at his stop. They had to, like, pour water on his hands to get them to unfreeze from the sled where he was holding it. Like, he could not let go because they were frozen to the sled. Um, As you can imagine, many dogs would sadly perish in this in this very long uh, journey. Um, the longest distance covered in this trip was by Leonhard Seppala um, and his lead dog Togo. And they actually crossed like, it was like 91 miles. Um, that was the biggest, longest. And Togo was known as like one of the best sled dogs at the time. This is important yeah. to know. Um, and so he he crossed a big chunk of it. There were, like I said, there were many involved. Um, and this whole time, by the way, as all these mushers are crossing to get there, what's also happening is you're getting a daily, like, um, case toll in Nome. So every day that oh, this gosh, is happening. The, the timer is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, a couple more kids get sick. 
Um, you start to worry about the status of one of the children who already are sick. Uh, again, the media was covering it all. Um, and the entire time, you also had government officials who were arguing, like, this is why we should use a plane. Kids are dying. What are you doing? Get over these dogs. We need a plane. And so you have all of this happening at the same time that you're just trying to, like, these mushers are just trying to get the serum there. Yeah. You can see why they made movies about this. Um, the final musher, and this is why it's about Bolto, <laughs> the final musher who carries it the last leg of the journey, uh, Gunnar Kaysen, was uh, led by Bolto. His team was led by a dog, Bolto. The story is that he wasn't supposed to be the final musher. Mm. So he had a lot of trouble setting out because of the conditions and everything. And he was delayed in getting to his checkpoint. Mm -hmm. And the musher who was waiting at the checkpoint to take over for him had, thinking that he wasn't going to make it that night, had gone to sleep. Mm. And so as Gunner arrives, he sees that the cabin is already dark. So he thought he left? Well, no, he figured he was asleep, but the problem is you got to wake him up and then he's got to get his team all ready. The, the way this it's relay was supposed to work to... is that like each team was supposed to be, it's like a relay race. Literally, they were supposed to just hand the serum to the next team and they take off. But I imagine, I mean, I've never been dog sledding, but I imagine that there's a lot involved with getting your sled all hooked up and getting everything on board and you, you know, you got to wake up, maybe have your coffee. I don't that know. That poor guy. So, oh, man, I feel kind of bad for that guy. Like, you had to tell his grandkids, like, oh, yeah, I was involved with this here, run. <laughs> tell us what you did, Papa. There's like, the, uh, well, it's all very, you know, a long time ago. <laughs> Before we get to the Balto controversy, this is another uh, – there's so many parts of this where there seems to be, like, we're not so sure. There are some who claim that this musher, Gunner, Intentionally, oh, he, oh, he looks <laughs> blue past like real quiet. Like, oh, listen, I'll go ahead and just <laughs> bring for it the glory. Uh, I have no. I just I oh, read a bunch of different accounts. I have no best. idea. This is not my expertise. We is not this part of history. I just right. know the medicine. One way or another, he is the one who finished it. And I mean, he, it was still grueling. What he did was still incredibly difficult. He, of course, like almost every other musher, suffered frostbite. And um, he, he arrived. Sounds like, he sounds like you and your dad on a road trip. Just like, uh, I know we all have to use the bathroom very badly, but we just passed Charleston, which means we're basically at home at this point. So we should just go ahead and push the last 45 minutes. This is exactly. With everyone having to pee their pants. This is exactly. Yes, I can understand. I can. I, I know I'm going to lose these fingers, but. No, folks, it's not a joke. If you're in a car with Sydney and she's driving, you're like, if you're hungry <laughs> or have to use the bathroom, do it like before two hours away from your destination. Because once you hit that two hour mark, she is not stopping again. <laughs> this is true. I just hate to stop. We're so close. It's 90 minutes away. I like to make good time. Yeah, I know. These uh, mushers and these uh, sled dogs made good time. They arrived. So they set off on January 27th. They arrived on February 1st. That is when the final musher arrived. <laughs> Early in the morning on February 1st, they thawed the serum, and by noon it was being administered to people who needed it. And by noon 05, it was being rejected by people in the town that thought it was the anti uh, anti serumers microchips the anti anti toxins uh so overall the so let's talk about the two ends of this story first the medical part the part that i want to focus on uh -huh. um overall this was an incredibly successful mission 
They got the antitoxin there. And the officially reported, and this is really hard to tease out, the officially reported death toll um, was, I mean, some count said five, six, or seven, much lower than you would have predicted right. based on what was unfolding in Nome. So absolutely lives were saved. However, uh, it is always important to note that there were a lot of um, Native Alaskans in that surrounding, like I said, that the the 10,000 plus population that lived in that part around Nome mm-hmm. who may have also suffered and, and lost people to this outbreak. That, that total will never, we will never know completely. Right. But I do think it is fair to say that the serum undoubtedly prevented deaths um, and was enough to at least take care of people who were sick, at least some of them, um, until the final shipment could arrive. Because that is what would have to happen later is a second relay with that big giant shipment out of Seattle would have to be brought later. And some of these mushers did both, if you can imagine that, did both of these relays. Um, because they did. They called upon some of the greatest mushers of the time, and um, they just got right back out there and did the the bigger, longer relay that would arrive mid-February with the rest of the antitoxin and uh, get the outbreak, you know, controlled nice. and save a lot of lives that way. Um, and there was still, like, with that second relay, same thing, all these people pushing the planes. There's even this account where, like, they did put some, they did put some serum on a ship and take it up outside the port and then like tried to fly a plane into Nome, but the, like the engines on the plane wouldn't work. And so everybody was like, sorry, <laughs> you're right. You were right about the dogs. You, the dogs were the better choice. I see that now. Um, anyway, the controversy comes in that Balto is, was hailed as the hero dog mm-hmm. because of being the one in the final leg of the journey. Right. There is a statue of Balto in Central Park. Okay. Because he was the hero dog who finished this journey. Okay. He, I believe there's also one in Anchorage. Uh, there's a movie that I saw and that Taylor was obsessed with about Balto. However, one, Balto was not the dog responsible for the brunt of the journey, right? There mm-hmm. were lots of dogs involved in this, but many thought Togo should have gotten the glory over Balto. Mm. Um, And secondly, there's also a little side note where some argue that Balto wasn't even actually the dog. (laughs) That it was a different dog, but that the name of that dog wasn't as exciting as Balto. And so they just said it was Balto. And like there are pictures with Balto in them, like in the media, like actual photographs that were taken at the time, but they were taken many hours later. Because they arrived when it was still dark, so they waited till it was light to take. So so there's this whole question of like, not only are there people saying Balto wasn't the real hero, but then there are people who are like, it wasn't even Balto. Yeah. Um, He's got younger, Balto's just younger and sexier than the other dog, and he's a cover boy. I get it. (laughs) They like the name Balto, is what I read. It happens in podcasting too. I get it. So I guess more recently, there have been movies about Togo. Like there was an animated film, Togo, that was just released in the last couple of years, I believe, um, to celebrate the, <laughs> the dog who may have done more. Um, I think personally... Togo starring... Sorry, sorry. Togo starring um, Willem Dafoe. Whoa. Is on Disney+. Plus. There you go. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's fair to say that all the dogs involved, Togo, Balto, and every other dog, 
probably to all the dogs involved probably sure. deserve like a lot of praise for, for this um, as well as all the mushers and that was another part of the controversy is that there were certain mushers who got more um, sort of coverage and it kind of depended on your race whether or not you were lauded for your accomplishments and mm-hmm. and all that and so like there 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 is a lot of controversy as to who gets credit for this um, human and dog. Uh, I think that every human involved and every dog involved should get a ton of credit. I I know reading this story, I sat crying thinking, what an amazing feat. <laughs> what an amazing accomplishment as a as a planet, a society, not just a species because yeah. there were dogs too. So we like used to all do of us. great things. Like this, like this amazing like this. serum run. I mean, it really is an incredible story that saved a lot of lives. Um and after this, they would find ways to like uh, – actually, there was like the Kelly Act was passed, which would allow for private air companies to do mail delivery. And so you would have more like planes delivering things around Alaska in the years that would follow this so that remote areas would not be cut off from resources in times of crisis um, so easily. But uh, but these – these mushers and these dogs saved a lot of lives. And it's an amazing story. And I don't think when I watched the movie Balto as a kid that I had any idea of, like, the the context, you know? I mean, yeah. I think I understood, like, the dogs are saving sick kids, but I don't think I really got this whole story. Um, and, uh, and, of course, over time, the antitoxin that was treating people would be refined because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a perfect treatment. There were some side effects. There were some risks to it. Obviously, not as many as diphtheria. But it would be refined into a toxoid vaccine, which is the vaccine that we receive as children today. Hopefully, you all do. And prevents diphtheria completely. So we don't have to wait until you get it and treat you for it. We can give you the vaccine and you don't get diphtheria. And we can just let those dogs chill. Thanks, dogs. And the mushers. Um, the dog that played Togo is named Diesel. And he's a direct descendant of the of Togo. Really, the real original Togo. You should read. I mean, it's a fascinating. Like, you should read like accounts of all the different because you can read details of each musher and the journey they took, which piece, which leg of it was theirs, and what happened to them, and the dogs that were part of the team. And I mean, there's there's a lot of dramatic account of all that part of it. I didn't want to get you know, I didn't get want to get in the weeds too much with. Dog sledding. I wanted to focus on the medicine part, but yeah. um, but it's a it's an amazing story. Oh, Iron Will. That's another one. That was a Disney movie that was about this. That was about uh, this this run. Um, had David Ogden Sires in it. There are a lot of. I mean, th- there's a lot of uh, a lot of, of movies and books. I believe. Oh, no, I mean, Iron I think- Will is about a dog sled race. Balto is about this original story. Got it. Yes. And of course, Sled Dogs, that is a, a Cuba Gooding Jr. picture um, that is in no way related to this whatsoever. It's just uh, completely separate. It's a it's a really amazing story, whatever you uh I don't know. I, I do think it's interesting to hear um like the accounts of the different mushers arguing about the better dogs and things um, from the time. Because you can tell that it's like very important to them that the right dog gets credit for what yeah. they were able to do. Yeah. Why not? Which is why I say at the end of the day, like, how about we just like let all the all the dogs be celebrated? Let's celebrate all the dogs, is what I'm saying. All dogs go to heaven. That should be enough for them. 
celebrate. Fox, by the way, that was the name of the dog that may have actually been in the lead. Oh, shout out. Instead of Balto, but like that's, I don't know. We could be here all day talking about how great dogs are, but instead I'm going to say thank you for listening to this episode of Sawbones. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, if you could share the show with a friend, that's cool. We would, we would love if you would do that or leave us a rating review on the podcasting platform that you uh, of your choice. Um, that is another great way of supporting our show. We also have some merchandise if you go to MacquarieMerch.com, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y, Merch.com. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thank you to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, oh, that uh, the fundraiser is still going for the, the lock zone. If you go to bit.ly forward slash sawbones, sawbones naloxone, is that right? Bit.ly forward slash sawbones naloxone. You could help uh, buy some for our community, and we would very much appreciate it. Several of you stepped in to support that, and yeah, thank you so much if you've if you've donated to that fundraiser. Yeah. I, I super appreciated it. Really, it it's life saving. You're saving lives directly. Uh, thanks to thanks to you for listening, and we'll be back with you again soon. Till then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. As always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.